VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. It's the middle of the week. I'm your host, Ralph Marlborough, and as always, we are joined by Andrew Juge of the Saints Nation. Uh, our fearless leader is MIA. Uh, Spoiler alert. <laughs> he is on painkillers and um, probably stalking uh, college girls. Well, and- actually, I... Uh, I, I, I think he's mourning the loss of James Gandolfini, but uh, we, but and and Devery Henderson and Devery Henderson, and we will also get it. We'll, we're going to touch on Tony Soprano, unfortunately, going to the big uh, mob palace in the sky. Also, we are joined by Kevin Held from Akeem Drops the Ball uh, and uh, Canal Street Chronicle when he feels like writing. Oh, knock knock, Ralph. Who's there? Uh, it's building security. Collect your fucking personal effects because you are fucking fired. I didn't make fun of a beloved person with Lou Gehrig's disease that has a statue of, of a statue of him out front of a stadium. Why am I getting escorted out? Oh wait, I'm sorry. You're right. That's not you. Those are some other fucking idiots. All right, look. We're gonna get into. Look, we have so much to cover. We have the the Steve Gleason just stupidity in Atlanta. We have the stupidity of the NFL Network, the players poll, top 100 players not having Jimmy Graham anywhere in it. Um, so I guess we'll start with Steve Gleason. Uh, if you aren't on Twitter, you don't get on the internet. You probably don't listen to the show, but I'm sure everybody that listens to the show knows that radio host in Atlanta, Andrew, they did a bit where they made fun of Steve Gleason and had a phone call where they talked to him and did the whole Stevens Hawking's voice bit and it got them fired. Um, now the thing that, it, the, the thing that interests me, Andrew is not so much that people did something dumb on the radio or on the air and got fired. That happens all the time now in this politically correct environment. What interests me is the guy, one of the guys that got fired had founded the station it was the flagship station at the Falcons, and this wasn't a live on-air thing, Andrew. It was a thing that they thought about it as a comedy idea, produced it, taped it, edited it, and then ran it on the air. And not once did anybody say, you know what? This is a bad fucking idea. Maybe we should rethink this. How does that happen? Well, it's almost like they knew that it was a bad idea while they were doing it. It was. That's the part. Yeah, one guy's like, I'm not sure I want to play this game. And then one guy at the end says, I'm going to hell. So they they knew it was messed up. But, I mean, the thing that blows my mind about all this, Ralph, is that, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know. We go off the rails. Yeah, we do. You've heard Kevin's rant. If we've heard you so eloquently put things in in, <laughs> in glor- your glorified English, um, I mean, 
we we say inappropriate things all the time. And there's there's a warning. There's an explicit warning on Saints Nation or, or Canal Street Chronicles that there is. clues you in before you click this button. A quick heads up, you might hear some shit you don't want to listen to. So you know there. So, but but ne- never would it even cross my mind in this format where there's really no restrictions and you as our host tell us to basically say whatever we want um, because that's the allure of this podcast. It has never once dawned on me that we should mock someone with a disease. You know, (laughs) I mean, even in a free form jovial podcast where we make fun of pretty much everything, I still feel like making fun of injured people, less fortunate people, people with disease, is kind of off limits. That that's pretty much the only place where we draw the line. Yeah, and, pretty pretty much. I mean, and when you talk about guys that are on air on a live radio station, so you know, in, in a public format, which is way way more listeners, um, way more exposure than anything we get, without the disclaimer. You know, so they actually have rules that they have to go by. Um, it's just it is unbelievable to me that they would find it not only funny, but even if they found it funny off the record, what what would possess them to run that and share that with other people thinking that they would find it funny? And look, it'd be one thing, and we were talking about this before, and you you said it right, Ralph, it'd be one thing if it was like 16-year-olds, kids can be cruel, teenagers, it'd be one thing if it was guys in a fraternity that were drunk all the time and they were 19. I mean, I, I was in college. I was in a fraternity. I used to drink heavily when I was in school. And used to? We may, we may just say, yeah, I, I still do. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, true. But I, I made a lot of distasteful jokes back then. We all did, and I'm sure we all said some things that we regret, and that, that's part of growing up. But, you know, like you said, these guys, I mean, I don't know how old they are, but I, I'm guessing some of these guys are – maybe in their 40s, maybe close to 50. You have to assume they have families, they have kids, they probably know people that have died of something, of cancer, of heart attacks, or you know, they've lost family members. And to, to have that lack of sensitivity, I mean, at some point there, there's like a, a life component there and just a human being moral ethical component that is always going to trump sports. And no matter how much I hate the Falcons, and no much, no matter how much I love to mock them at the drop of a hat and any opportunity that I get, there's that human line that you just don't cross. And I would never do it, and I would hope that most of my fellow Saints fans wouldn't either. And to me, that's – forget the Saints, forget the Falcons, forget all that stuff. Um, if you just take it at face value, it's horrible. It really yeah. is just – it's horrible. And the, the on top of it, like, Kevin, I listened to the bit on the air, like, because it's out there. It, the thing is, like, it, it wasn't even funny. Like, and yeah. that's not even, and I can kind of divorce myself of the, the fact that I love Steve Gleason and that. Like, nothing offends me, basically. But it wasn't even that funny. But I guess, Kevin... That aside, like, how can a person, I mean, you work at a TV, you've worked in TV and media, 
how can that happen where it just gets to the point where no one says, this is a bad idea? Like, there, there's always checks and balances. Or, you know, and it, how can that happen? Uh, well, okay. So, I work at a news station. I'm not saying which one shit. I mean, if you know me well enough, maybe you've fucking heard me or seen me on Twitter somewhere mention it, but I'm not going to fucking do it here. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Because I'm not going to be that direct, but I work at a news station. So it's not like we say anything where we're interjecting opinion, except for one of the sports guys who likes making fucking puns from the late 80s or early 90s that everybody just rolled their eyes at. But we decide, you know, news stories to cover or special projects to do during the ratings period, you know, the book as it's called. And, you know, the station gets behind a lot of boneheaded ideas that do absolutely dick and and bomb in the ratings. So I, it's so, it, it, I'm not saying it is the same thing, but it's like in the decision-making process, there's a person who presents an idea that, that people with some fucking common sense or people who, you know, with a little bit critical thought who, can, who are away from the situation or who can remove themselves from the situation and look at things not from the ground level, but from like the 10,000-foot level, and just say, yeah, I don't think that's going to work right now. Or, or I don't think that's a good idea. But instead, you get people who just get so caught up in it, and it just ends up getting a, a quick approval, and then boom, next thing you know, it's being done or it's done. And either the people all the way up at the top have no clue, and don't hear about it till later, or they're just like, oh, we're going to do a bit uh, about this, and you, you don't get specifics until it comes out. And then the guys who are in it, it's like, you know, they're, they've already made up their minds. They see nothing wrong with it. And then there are probably people who are just either still kind of new or who are just very young and inexperienced who are like, I don't know who, like, who the hell would I turn in about this? It's like, I, well, what am I going to do, report this person? What if I get fired? Or why would they listen to me? Yeah. I mean, shit. I've been the place I'm at five years, and I... I I'll say a few times, hell, I think this is a dumb idea, or I think this is a good idea, and people just roll their eyes at me and just ignore me. So, yeah. and, and then they go ahead with their boneheaded idea, but well, whatever. The, the more I think about it, the more – it probably was the – because one of the guys that got fired was the, the host of the show, and he had, he had founded the station. He eventually had sold, his, sold the station but still was working the show. The more I think about it – it was probably his idea because who's going to – if the guy who used to own the station 
is coming up with a horrible idea, who in that room is going to be like, Bob, I know you own the station and you're like the number one guy here, but this is a fucking terrible idea and it might get you fired. Like, no one is probably going to make that call in the room, especially if you're like a producer at a radio station and produce. Most producers in local radio make dick, okay? I'm talking like less than $12 an hour. Even the guy who's working the board at WWL or producing the shit, they, they make dick because I did it and you make no money. <laughs> so, I mean, it, look, it's true. I was producing Buddy D and I'd be like, what do you do for a living? You'd be like, I produce Buddy D. And my friends were always like, why do you claim poverty? You you produce Buddy Buddy Diliberto and you do the post game show for the Saints. I'm like, doesn't matter. I still don't make fucking dick. Um, so I mean, it's 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 interesting. But um, the in the the interesting thing about this, Andrew, does it add to the inferno in your soul that burns hatred towards Atlanta? Does this add to the pile, or are you just like, eh, hey, whatever? Uh, that that's that's a tough question. Um, I'm a little on the fence with that one, but um, I tend to want to separate this incident actually from the Falcons. Now, I will say this: the one thing that I think is awesome about all this is that Steve Gleason makes that one play, um, you know, the block punt, and then you know he he's done such an amazing job of raising awareness, and despite his illness, which is so debilitating that he can't, I mean, he can't walk, he can't talk, you know, he, it limits him in so many ways, and yet he's been able to stay so prevalent in the media and, and, and in the community that everyone knows his story, and every, even nationally, not even just in New Orleans, but across the states, and the fact that those guys would want to mock Gleason, that they would, that they would almost go that far than to mock someone with ALS proves just how high-profile Gleason is, how he's managed to get his story out there and, and how prevalent he is and how how much that play that he made against the Falcons maybe contributes to their hatred of him. And so, um, you know, in, in a way, it, it's almost kind of cool um, that, you know, that they would stoop that low because, you know, they're – now, of course, it's pathetic, but – um, from the Steve Gleason kind of view, you know, they say, uh, you know, sometimes they say that, um, you know, mockery is, is a form of flattery. And, and you know, I think, um, you know, it's it certainly, I think it's at least neat that, that they're glorifying him, you know, even if it's trying to do it in a negative way. So, um, but, you know, Gleason's the man. We all love him. And uh, I, as far as your question, I just feel like, nothing's going to make me hate Atlanta any more than I already do. You know, at least in terms of the sport, in terms of the You can't hate them anymore, but the fire can burn a little bit brighter. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm so pumped. But no, no. I I think I'm, for the most part, detaching this. I don't don't equate what what this was to the Falcons, to the organization, to the fans. In fact, most of the things I read on Twitter – we're kind of denouncing him, and, and a lot of the Falcons fans were like, whoa, we're, we're not associating with that. I mean, it was off limits. I felt like most people got that. And, in fact, it was kind of nice to see them separate their fanhood and, and actually be ra- rational for a second and be like, I, I can't stand behind that. 
So, and I think we would act, we would all, you, me, Kevin, we would all act the same way, you know, if, if the shoe was on the other foot, at least I would hope. Um, so I, I, I don't want to attach too much to it, but, um, you know, I will say there were a couple things on Twitter. Um, there was that one guy, and I'm sure you guys saw this on Twitter, that was making the NOLA contingency probably blow up even more than the Steve Gleason story. It was some guy that basically says, I don't condone what the guy said, and of course that was wrong. But let's not act like Steve Gleason is a hero here. Um, I can't remember who the Atlanta fan or the blogger was on Twitter that said that. And then he said, you know, I went to real, I went to school with real, real heroes at the Citadel. <laughs> I mean, and, and that was getting people more fired up. And so that's the kind of stuff, you know, the, the commentary after the fact. Okay, this happened. These guys made a huge mistake. They apologized. They got fired. They got what they deserved. Um, you know, they apologized to Steve Gleason. He accepted their apology, blah, blah, blah. But not, and that's fine. It's, it's over with. It's done. But it's, it's the commentary after the fact, the bloggers that somehow try to rationalize some, oh, yeah, it was wrong, but I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of give you a backhanded comment about the Saints. <laughs> and that's where that, – that's what gets me going. And that's where, once again, um, the juices of reminding the, those fans that we have a Super Bowl ring and they don't. Um, my favorite picture that you guys have probably seen a million times, a Super Bowl ring juxtaposed, the onion ring, um, which is a, the Atlanta ring versus the Saints ring, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, so I posted that on Twitter again. And um, so so I will say the commentary that kind of came after that um, definitely got my juices flowing. And, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the rival, rivalry week or whatever starts now. I mean, all the way up until week one of the, of the, the actual game, I mean, the, there is no time, there's no wrong time between now and week one, which is, I think, September 8th, to tweet Roddy White, to retweet Roddy White when he says something stupid, which will invariably happen in the next 48 hours, and um, get blocked by Matt Ryan for some stupid reason, and talk trash to the Falcons bloggers. I mean, totally fair game, and in fact, after this podcast is over, I'm probably going to get on Twitter because I'll be bored, and I'm going to do a little bit of that. Kevin? Um, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah I fire me a question. Does it, does, I mean, you, you will rant and rave and get fired up about anything. Does this not throw a couple of logs on your furnace of hatred for Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, you know, Andrew was pretty eloquent and, and fairly right on. It's like, look, we already fucking hate the Falcons. I mean, is it possible you could hate Atlanta more? I, I, I don't know, but this is a pretty good fucking test of it. And, I, I mean, personally, you know, like everything Andrew said about, I don't go rooting, you know, I wouldn't root for anybody to get fucking injured. I wouldn't root, you know, I, I'd like to hope I have not said in the past, man, I really fucking hope Ryan White gets, like, gets his ACL blown out or any horse shit like that. I'd like to hope that I haven't said anything like that because I, I, I think I'm at least better than that. Uh, but, and, you know, and if somebody did have a uh, debilitating disease or illness, I'd like to hope that I wouldn't make fun of it for an attempted cheap laugh or whatever. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole comedy bit because that's a whole fucking rabbit hole of discussion <laughs> in and of itself. But, 
I really fucking hope that the Saints... Uh, I, I actually, I tell you what, I'm going to say two things. One, well, one, I fucking hope Steve Gleason lives another 15 years. Two, well, longer than 15 years, but you get the point. Two, I fucking hope that the Saints get him to show up. Yes. For that first fucking game. Yes. The roof of the fucking dome will fly off of the building. Yeah. It will fly off of the building. The Falcons would be completely fucking neutered from 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 a from a mental game standpoint. Don't even announce that he's gonna be there. Make no fucking make no fucking thing about it until shortly before the game. And that way you let the Fox people, you know, because it'll probably be a Fox game. You let the Fox people know shortly beforehand. That way they can make sure they got their cameras and all the stuff lined up right and that they're recording it, and that way they can get it in all of its glory. Kevin, and I like that idea, and I think... Before it happens, so that way everybody on Twitter hears about it. that the Saints needed to do... But not do, so the fucking um, Falcons. Is remember, the NFL, they have that new thing where the people in the stadium are going to get special video and perks that people at home aren't going to get. So you're going to get to see, like, the Saints in pregame before they come out of the tunnel and stuff in the locker room. They could do something with Gleason. They could, like, show him on the board, or they could have him lead the Saints out of the tunnel or something and just blow the fucking roof off the dome, like you say. Um, and the thing is, you, you, people, people in New Orleans know, so they don't have to announce it. Like, if they show him on the screen, they'll know. Or they, you see him... Uh, you see him coming out the tunnel. You know you don't need you don't need to announce it. We know if we see him if we see him in his you know I guess you call you know wheelchair or whatever. If you see that on the field, you people know, people know. I mean, so I just think that's a that's a great thing for them to do. And sure, I don't think this the Steve Gleason thing, guys, has has ramped up my hatred of Atlanta. But I can tell you, I didn't think I could be more excited for this opening game, but I am. Like this, I'm just like. This is through the roof. I think, I think the angry Houdat is just going to single-handedly break Twitter on game week. I, I, I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, there was, you know, as stupid and as stupid Kevin as the Steve Gleason stuff was with Atlanta. This might have even been more dumb if you could say that uh the nfl the nfl network they do their top 100 players every year and of course it's actual nfl players that vote so brain trust what's that i just said that fucking brain trust yeah it does so they had the top 100 and jimmy graham of the saints wasn't on the list now there's probably a couple saints well he did have a down year but let me tell you something, Andrew. I'm going to play a game for you, and I want you to you you tell me is this the backup tight end for the Saints, Ben Watson, or are these stats a top 100 NFL tight end according to NFL players? Are you ready to play? I'm ready. Okay. This guy caught 41 passes for 548 yards and five touchdowns in 2012. Was he? A, Ben Watson, or was he B, number 17 on the NFL top 100 player list? 
Ben Watson. He is not. He is Vernon Davis. He was number 17. You lose. So, this is, Kevin, I feel like NFL. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Ben Watson had better stats. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Re-fucking cap that. (laughs) Re-fucking cap that. Hang on a second. You're telling me Vernon Davis did what? Vernon Davis in 2012 caught 41 passes, started 16, right. started 16 games. By the way, he wasn't injured and missed like half right. the year. He started all 16. He caught 41 passes for 548 yards. Ben Watson started 16, started 14 games, played in all 16. He caught 49 for 501 and three touchdowns. Well, surely he must have been the 15th best player in the NFL then, right? No, Andrew. He's the Saints' number two tight end. Ah. Wait a minute, man. Hang on a second. All right, not 46. I'm sorry. 46 was the longest yardage he caught. He caught 85 fucking catches. 85. More than twice as many as Varney fucking Davis. And caught 982 yards. That's 304 and almost 340 more than Vernon Davis. And how many fucking touchdowns? Wait, what? Five. One one wrist. Vernon Davis had five. And how many fucking touchdowns? Vernon Davis had five. Jimmy Graham had how many? Nine. (laughs) Nine fucking touchdowns caught. With one wrist. Okay? Yeah. With one fucking wrist. Terrible fucking hands, it seems, and the whole fucking schmear, and this motherfucker can't get in the top 100. No, but let's put a guy in now that may not fucking play all this season because he's fucking injured, and let's, and let's also rank him well below a guy who may, who's being questioned in a fucking murder investigation. Let me tell you something. Jimmy Graham may be the first guy in the history of the you that isn't a total fucking clown shoe. I mean, I'm, Jesus Christ, right there, the man ought to get a fucking parade. I'm sorry, five Vernon Davis. Touch, Vernon Davis. Five fucking touchdowns. Five fucking touchdowns. That's horseshit. 41 catches. Horseshit, Vernon. 548 receiving yards. Again, horseshit, Vernon. Horseshit. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand corrected. Vernon Davis wasn't number 17. He was number 38. But still, here's the touchdown. Who's here's the type? You could say he's number ninety fucking nine, and my <laughs> question is, okay, how much higher is Jimmy Graham than him? How much higher is Jimmy Graham? To say if you know, if he's fucking seventeen, then that really shows the NFL players, whatever, are all fucking uh, mentally imbalanced. The fact that he's in the top fifty says that. But well, Jimmy Graham ain't on the I do. I do have Graham ain't on the list. Jimmy, here's the so, list. Okay, where's, where's Gronkowski? Is he Gronkowski on is number twenty-five. And how many tight ends after that? Just those they, two. They have they have eight tight ends on the list. So Jimmy, they're saying Jimmy Graham is the ninth best tight end in the NFL. Apparently so. At best. At best. Bullshit. De- the number hundred player was Dennis Pitta of the Ravens. Holy shit. Number ninety-seven. Was Heath Miller of the Steelers? Seven, he wasn't been good for like 
four seasons. Aaron Hernandez was good when he's not shooting people in the face. He's number 77. Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's more fun. It's more fun when you say it as a declarative statement, Kevin. 73 is Antonio Gates. Uh, 47 is Gonzalez. Uh, Jason Witten, who, if you want to argue Jason Witten had a better 2012 than Jimmy Graham, I'm open to that conversation. Number 38 is Vernon Davis. Number 25 is Gronkowski. Okay. So, Andrew, I'm going to try to explain it this way. NFL players, they know a lot about football, and they're obviously better at playing football than any of us. But I would argue NFL players know the least about the NFL of almost anybody. Coaches will know because they have to scout and stuff, but I would bet you anything that if you take any, almost any player, even Tom Brady, a hardcore fantasy person like Matthew Barry or whoever, will know more than Tom Brady about the whole league. Because Matthew Barry, he's a fantasy freak. He can tell you, oh yeah, um, Heath Miller hadn't been good in four years. Tom Brady, all he's worried about is getting ready for the game and, and banging Giselle. He doesn't know who the, you know, this or that about the ins and outs of other teams. All the players do is watch the fucking highlight shows and say, oh, Vernon Davis, he had that awesome playoff game against the Saints. Oh, he had that 50-yard touchdown where Chris Berman uh, oohed and odd because he loves San Francisco. He must be really good. So that's my theory on that. Am I, is, it, is it unfounded? Judge, make sure you no. tag me back in. Okay. No, I think you're I think you're on the money. I mean, you know, we talk about the Pro Bowl and how much of a farce that is. It's a popularity contest. Um, you know, whenever I think about the Pro Bowl, I think about Eric Allen with the Saints, <laughs> who was horrible, just just not good with the Saints at all in two years with the team, and yet somehow he makes the Pro Bowl because of his um, legacy with the Eagles and how fantastic he was for so many years and. We've seen countless examples of players that have horrific seasons and they end up in the suit in, in the Pro Bowl. So um, if that's a joke and that's a farce and that's a popularity contest, I think not having Jimmy Graham in the top 100 NFL players currently makes the NFL Network's top 100 NFL players more of a joke than the Pro Bowl. Yep, I said it. More of a joke than the Pro Bowl. I didn't think it could get any worse than the Pro Bowl in terms of naming players for having successful seasons, naming players that deserve to go there based on what they did on the field. And I'm now saying that that is even worse. So I don't see – now, based on this, based on this alone, Throw everything else out. This one example, Jimmy Graham, not a top 100 player. It's time to write the list off forever. I don't care what happens at any point in the future for the next 500 years. I will never take that seriously. I will never take it seriously because if Jimmy Graham is a top 100 player in the NFL on that list, then, Ralph, I am not listening. (laughs) Uh, Kevin? Here we go. Hot tag made. All <laughs> right. So, 
receptions in 2012. Jimmy Graham's down year, his down year, he finished third. He had 85 receptions, 85. There are fucking wide receiver, number one wide receivers who would love to, have to say, I caught 85 passes. He caught 85 passes. There are only two guys that did better than him, Jason Witt and Tony Gonzalez. Rob Gronkowski, the guy that I'm sure is going to be rated the number one tight end, the guy that everybody loves to fucking slurp on. And, hey, he's good. He had 55 catches. He's also he got 55. a horrible – he's also got a de- degenerative back. He's not going to be the number one tight end in two years. He's not uh, the number one I'm tight not, end now. I'm, I'm not sure he's going to play this season. Right. So, total yards. Let's look at total yards. Jason Witten, over 1,000. Great. More power to him. I'm surprised he's able to get that done. Jimmy Graham was number two with 982 yards. Average, average per catch. Average per catch. Well, fuck, this is factoring in guys only played like fucking caught one or two passes, so fuck that stat. Yards per game. Yards per game. Jimmy Graham, second behind Gronkowski by only six yards. Touchdowns. Jimmy Graham had nine touchdown catches. Actually tied for second with Kyle Rudolph from the fucking Vikings, two behind Gronkowski. So, nine touchdown catches. Again, show me a number one wide receiver on anybody's depth chart, and if you told them you'll get 85 catches and nine fucking touchdowns, they would be like, absolutely, sign me down for that. I will go and I, that's phenomenal. And this motherfucker ain't in the top 100? And he ain't in the top 100? Fuck you and your fucking numbers, NFL. I don't know what kind of fucking cheese dick operation you got going on there. The same fucking cheese dick operation apparently that says women can't carry fucking purses into the stadium. That's fucking clown shoe brain trust. I mean, never mind. Never fucking mind. The NFL players are the one that's voting on it. You're going to tell me that Roger Goodell, that Roger Goodell can't go in and say, uh, guys, I'm going to fucking step in and make an executive decision here. This fucking guy belongs on the list. Figure out who you're voting out. And that's the way that's fucking going. The NFL players, obviously the fucking concussion thing is far more, more widespread and worse than we realize because these players don't fucking realize that Jimmy fucking Graham is one of the 100 best players in the league. He's obviously, obviously a top three. Top three in the league. Top three. Arguably, arguably number two. Arguably and number I would one. Even, I, would even, I would even let some of the Yahoo's at fucking Saints report Try to fucking argue that he's number one. I got no beef with that. I got no beef with that. I'm a fucking homer. You want to argue he's number one? That's fine. I would still say Gronkowski for right now, but Jimmy Graham's going to fucking take that motherfucking throne this year, I believe. I would say this. I would say this, Kevin. I would ask you this. If if, If I said to you, I want you to pick a tight end who's going to have the best stats in the NFL the next three years, who would Jimmy you Graham. pick? Jimmy Graham, because, again, Gronkowski may, may not fucking, he's not going to be playing this year, so he's going to fall behind, and fuck only knows how those injuries are going to affect him, so he might be done. He might be, uh, like, the, the, the greatest crash and burn ever, and look, he, he's going to have all those tight end records and more power to him, and he's got in the bank porn stars and be a fucking bro, and that's great, but Tony Gonzalez is retiring, so he's done. Heath Miller is a fucking shadow of himself. Same thing as Antonio Gates. Uh, Vernon Davis, yeah, going ahead and keep fucking catching 40 or 50 balls per year. 
Jimmy Graham will nearly be doubling that every time out. But, you know, great job, good job, good effort. Who, I mean, who the fuck else? Uh, Jason know, Witten, but, but Jason Witten, yeah, he's Jason. Jason Witten is 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 not going to fucking be around that much longer. Don't you got Jimmy Graham. Don't forget Pitta. Oh my Pitta. god. Oh oh yeah yeah fucking Dennis Pitta yeah Dennis Pitta great, great job guy, great job sixty one catches. 669, 41.8 yards per game, and seven touchdowns. Again, those are good numbers for a tight end. It ain't fucking Jimmy Graham numbers. <laughs> no, that's a real. He's a really. He's a, Dennis Pitt is a really end, nice tight end. There's, there's tight end stats, and then there's Jimmy Graham stats. You ain't got Jimmy Graham stats, brother. Oh, you, man, it's pretty impressive that All these motherfucking tight ends, not named Gronkowski, Gonzalez, or uh, fucking Witten, they would all shove their mothers down a flight of fucking stairs to have Jimmy Graham numbers. They would. It is Rest that. assured. Rest assured. It is, that is... That is true. I, I hate I hate when you make uh, perfect sense, Kevin, in, in a rant, and there's nothing I... I make a lot of goddamn sense. You do. <laughs> a lot of goddamn sense. But I mean, the... it's mind-blowing. You think about 85 catches, 982, nine touchdowns, and we, I think we all agree that last year was a down year for Jimmy Graham. Well, he, I... he performed yeah. He performed self-standard. I don't you know. You look at those numbers, and you say that he performed the substandard, I mean, I think we've all been a little spoiled. Obviously, the NFL right. players have been spoiled by the yeah. standard that he set, which, yeah. oh, by the way, is only the best fucking season <laughs> by a tight end in NFL history. And yeah. granted, Gronkowski passed him later in, in the Week 17, but he had so he had the second best season for a tight end ever. Yeah. Ever. I mean, he may set, you look at it like he had the best season ever, and then he had a down year. So you can expect it to be, in the next three years, somewhere in the middle. So you're talking 1,000 yards, 1,100 yards, five, six touchdowns maybe. I mean, you're, oh, talk- you're talking with Jimmy Graham. If he keeps – hell, if he just puts together five more 2012 – you're talking about going to Canton, okay? As 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 much yeah. as a quote unquote down year you say it is, he keeps stringing together 85 catches and 900 plus yards. He's going to Canton. That'll get you know that'll get him there, especially if the Saints if he wins another if the Saints win another Super Bowl and he's a big contributor, which you would think he would be. Um, I just. I guess I shouldn't be. I just it just I guess. NFL players, Andrew, it just surprises me the depth of their stupidity. stupidity. Yeah, I mean, you you could you could pull 100 chimpanzees with Down syndrome and a and a brain tumor and ask them who's better between Dennis Pitta and Jimmy Graham, and you would get 100 of the same answers. Um, so how the majority of the NFL players somehow um, by majority voted Pitta over Jimmy Graham in the top 100 proves to me that their 
the capacity of their brains is inferior to that of a chimpanzee with a brain tumor and Down syndrome. Kevin, let me ask you this. There's, all right. There's... Wait, hang on. Here's another. Here's an additional kick to the balls for all of the Saints fans. Now, your boy Jason Witten, who who you know leads in the catches and and the and the yards. Guess how many fucking touchdowns he caught? Three. Three. Yeah, he was actually okay. my fantasy tight end. That really well, here's, me here's, off, here's, Three. Here's, here's, the dude caught three. Here, here's gonna be, here was gonna be my question, and uh, Andrew, feel free to answer it. There's there's eight tight ends, obviously, that was on the hundred list that that aren't Jimmy Graham. How many of these tight ends could you pick in fantasy ahead of Jimmy Graham and not be laughed at, at by everybody in the draft room? Zero. I think, okay. Zero. Zero. You, you don't. Zero. You think Zero. if you picked Gronkowski ahead of Graham this year, people would people nope. would laugh at you? People would laugh at you because Gronkowski's health is a mess right now. He's a mess. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm laughing at any guy that's picking Gronkowski over Graham. How can you trust that he's going to get through a 16 game season the, based, only, based on what he's going through right now? The only and Kevin, you you tell me if I'm wrong. The only scenario. Of these tight ends that you could pick in ahead of Jimmy Graham in fantasy, the only scenario would be I drafted Drew Brees as my quarterback. I don't want to have Jimmy Graham and Drew Brees on the same team, so I'm picking Jason Witten. That's the only scenario in fantasy that would be acceptable to pass on Jimmy Graham. I mean, look, if you're one of those guys that doesn't want to do that because you're risking, you know, it's too much of a risk. Okay, I can at least understand that, but fuck, man. Again, <laughs> a down year. A, de- a down year for both guys. A down year for both Breeze and fucking Jimmy Graham. If you'd have picked both those motherfuckers last year, you would have to have been slaying fucking teams. You would have to have been slaying fucking teams. Left and right. Okay, I mean, unless you fucking bomb the rest of the goddamn draft, yeah. you would have had to have been slaying guys. I mean, I totally get the whole, man, don't draft too many guys from the same team because you don't want to get fucked like that. I totally get that. I totally get that. And, you know, I... I yeah, but I, having Breeze and Graham in tandem kind of trumps that. Right. Right. You can't fucking draft Gonzalez over him because, again, he's one fucking year older, and I know he's going to be magic again, but how much magic? How much fucking magic? How much? Yeah. How much? I mean, seriously, I mean, at some point, he's going to say to himself, man, I got a smoke show of a wife sitting at home. Why the fuck am I still out here getting beat like a fucking rag doll? And jumping around dunking a bath, jump, dunking a fucking football when I could be at home plowing my hot wife. And there's something to be said for karma where God says, I gave you one more year. You could have gone out on top, Tony. You've never been injured. There's eventually where you come back and you keep coming back and eventually your body breaks down. I mean, it's just it's the way it goes. Father time, you know, they, the old joke, father time is undefeated. You know? Yep. So... Um, there, I know we, there's no really any actual Saints news to talk about, um, this week. Uh, so 
with all that, Kevin, it's time to get to uh, yeah. America's favorite tournament. As we get to the oh, yeah, la- absolutely. as we get to the last region, we're gonna have to pick this up because we we're we're already in a, at a, almost an hour for this podcast, so we need to we need to kind of get through this. But this is the outside interference region. Um, number one seed, Sinister Kid, uh, by the Black Keys. Uh, number sixteen, Call Me Uprising, Blondie and Muse, CJR mix. Um. This one was a hard one. I, I wanted to go upset here, Kevin, but I just couldn't. Sinister Kid is just too good. Yep, yep. Jude, what say you? Unanimous. <laughs> so, this one, the next one was a, a really hard one um, because you have the number eight seed, Radioactive, Ima- Imagination Dragons, and you have... Uh, number nine, Running with the Devil, Van Halen. And, oh, I wanted to go with Radioactive, but I couldn't. I had to go Running with the Devil, Van Halen. I just, I love, they're, they're, Van Halen, I just pretend like the final choice of the lead singer didn't happen. The guy from um, whatever the song, whatever the band is, Extreme. I pretend like that didn't happen. It's like Caddyshack 2. It didn't happen. And the rest of the Van Halen catalog, I really, really love. Um, so I went running with the devil. So Andrew, well, I'm going. Well, well, I, well, I'm going radioactive. Okay, so Andrew. Yeah, this one's tough because, uh, as a general rule, I, I despise modern music. There, there's very few bands uh, that inspire me in this day and age, and. You know, the Imagine Dragons, Radioactive, does, doesn't really do anything for me. I also, I, Running with the Devil and Van Halen is not really what I, I love, love Van Halen. I mean, I'm one of the few that actually kind of prefer, I know this is blasphemy, most people are going to hear this and go nuts, but I kind of prefer the Sammy Hagar era of Van Halen to David Lee Ruff. I know, I know how that makes some people feel. But I feel my my preference in music is a little bit darker. And he's got a little. Uh, he's got better. He's got Sammy Hagar. He's got more good stuff. David Lee Roth has got great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Randy I mean, the, the thing about David Lee Roth is I just always felt like it was a little cheesy, a little hair metal and speed speedos. <laughs> you know, it just you know it was a little that whole bubblegum pop metal '80s thing, which. Which it was a weird combination for me, and and Hagar, I thought took the band to a place where they were a little bit darker, a little bit more interesting, uh, for my personal taste. But I don't really view this as a great tune for Kevin because I I view like Running with the Devil and and the poppiness of it uh, as like a something that Hulk Hogan would come out to, you know, like a grease back hair, you know, HGH, you know, the speedo, you know. That that bulging muscles that are greased up, like that—that's the vibe I get from running with the devil. Well, Kevin's going to eventually be filled with HGH and greased up. I mean, that's eventually going to happen. (laughs) Well, we can only hope. So, I I think I'm going to, as much as my personal taste leans Van Halen, and as much as I despise modern stuff, I'm going to lean here towards the benefit of Kevin and, and the better fit. And I think the modern tune, Radioactive, is a better, better 
stylistically a better call for him. All right. There All right. So, so now we have the number five tune, The Fire, The the Roots featuring John Lennon. And then this song, which I never heard of. I had to go on YouTube to do the show prep and listen to it. Uh, it's Conrad, Old Money. Kevin, tell the no, people. No, no, that... no, 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 no. It's, it's actually, it's, it, no, I, I think you're looking at an older, uh, an older thing. I rearranged this. It's Eminence Front by The Who. Okay. So that, well, then maybe you need to announce the bracket if it's all changed up because... So it's the fire yeah, versus. Sorry. So it's the fire versus Eminence Front. If that's the case, oh, Eminence Front's a great song, but I think for Kevin we got to do different and strange and weird. And Eminence Front just isn't that. So I'll go the fire. Uh, Andrew, what do you go there? Hundred percent on with what you just said. Okay, so I guess Kevin, if you have the bracket, you can start announcing it now. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll go with the roots as well. So it's a sweep, and uh, we got the roots. All right. So the number four, we got to the four thirteen. The four seed is "We Care a Lot" by Faith No More, against the thirteen seed "Police on My Back" by The Clash. Jude, why don't you lead us off? Well, uh, the "We Care a Lot" has a reference to the Garbage Pail Kids and uh, <laughs> my. My my rebellious years as a pre-teenager, um, the Garbage Pail Kids were my first foray, my first discovery of something wrong and evil, and my, my first discovery and, and then my first foray into the dark side, if you will. Um, so I have a personal affinity for the Garbage Pail Kids. In fact, I remember as a kid, I loved it so much that I sketched out Garbage Pail Kid mocks and I would mail it um, to the Garbage Pail Kid factory or whatever. Uh, you That's know, they would have con- Yeah, they, they would have contests where, like, you know, you could draw figurines and create names, and I spent a lot of time doing that, trying to score my own um, Garbage Pail Kid on the next magazine. never worked out for me, but um, based purely on that re- lyrical reference alone, i got to go with Faith No More. Uh, is it my? Do I need to go, Kevin? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Ralph. Go ahead. Uh, this was hard. I love the garbage. Kid. I love the garbage pail kid reference. Um, but once again, I just feel like police on my back. It's a little bit. It, it, it would raise a little bit of eyebrows in the stadium, and I think that's what we want for you, held. So I go police on my back by the Clash. Well, it, well, you you make a key mistake here. This is not a stadium I'm competing in. It is a uh, <laughs> fair enough. It's, it's a backyard. It's hardly a stadium. It's well, no, no, oh, it's bigger than a backyard. It's you know, it can seat like five hundred, six hundred people maybe. Uh, but it's it's it it also doubles as a bingo hall. So uh, there's definitely no stadium in there. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I love the Clash. Uh, great, you know, great classic fucking rock band. Probably one of the best bands of the '80s. But I gotta go. I mean, seriously, I've, I've remarked that you could, I could fill this bracket with probably seven or eight Faith No More tunes easily. And I gotta go with We Care a Lot because I think the way that I see it going is whatever villainous character I end up being, the We Care a Lot speaks a lot of the the, the sarcastic asshole <laughs> that uh, that I'm sure I'll be bringing to the table. So I, I'm, I'm going to give that the nod, and that'll move on. 
Uh, so let's go go to the. Uh... All right. So okay. So next we got the six and the eleven matchup. Number six is Down by Stone Temple Pilots. Number eleven is Ecstasy of Gold, the Bambini remix, and this original song is is uh, from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and it's by uh, Eo Morcone. Yeah. I'm... And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. So. I'll say the 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 ER Marconi. It's just I just I had never heard. That's another song I had never heard of it. I played it on, and I was like, I like that song. It's just cool. It's weird. It's just different. And whenever I get that, I I I, uh, I always go that way. But it was a hard it was a hard call. Andrew, you're up. Well, little known fact about me. Uh, I am a guitar player, and for years I played in bands. And the most recent band that I played, I, I haven't played in, you know, I had a kid. I got married, I had a kid. And once you have a child, you, you make decisions with your life, and you prioritize the things that you like to do, and some things fall by the wayside. And unfortunately for me, guitar playing and po- po- poker playing, um, I would say were the two biggest casualties of uh, having a child. But anyway, my... The last band that I played in was a Stone Temple Pilots tribute band called the Stone Temple Pilot Pirates Pirates, um, and the joke was that we pirate their songs, so we should be the Stone Temple Pirates. We thought about the Stone Temple Pilates, uh, which also would have been funny, but uh, we decided to stick with that. And so I played for several years um, in, in the Stone Temple Pirates, and STP is my favorite band. I was the one that kind of championed that. Um, we didn't we didn't get many gigs, but it was a lot of fun. Um, so I mean, SCP is near and dear to my heart. Um, Down is a great tune. Drop D tuning, and uh, drop D tuning is always for those of you that don't play guitar. It's it's always going to have a little bit more depth, and and it, it's just fun to play loud songs and drop D. And that that's absolutely what Down is. It's it's loud. It's in your face. And there's a cool little effect in there where, you know, th- there's that first chord that comes in. It's kind of a deep, resonant chord. And then there's this weird sound that comes right at the beginning of the song. It almost sounds like a moose um, getting raped or something. <laughs> um, but but uh, anyway, it, it's a cool it's a cool little effect that comes in. And, and then Scott Weiland, who I think is an amazing vocalist, comes in to the song and just says, go. Um, kind of like Eddie Vedder did years before in, in a different song, but um, and then the, the whole song, the drums, the bass kick in, and the, the song just kicks you in the face. And so um, that, that's the kind of entrance I would love for Kevin and uh, SCP all the way, man. Kevin, boy, that is just that's a great. I, I God, now <laughs> he made me rethink I, my whole vote. He made me rethink well, I, it all, but. Well, I'm 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 going ecstasy of gold. I'm giving the nod to that. Uh, I mean, I feel bad after this. Really, after hearing that fucking thing. I mean, that's just a great. Like, boy, you, you see, you see, that's the great thing about this is that yeah, it's dumb because yeah, theme music for me trying to be a pro wrestler. But then you get Juge chiming in with fucking chord analysis, and you get stuff about drop D tuning, and like, and I know what he's talking about. I'm not a guitarist, but I I have a vague understanding of what he's talking about. It's like this guy. This guy fucking knows his shit. And the fact that he was in a fucking cover band called Stone Temple Pirates is hilarious because I'm fiction Jude dressed up like Steve the Pirate from Dodgeball. And it's perfect. 
This is great. Yeah. But I still got to go Ecstasy of Gold because it's like, it's it's orchestral, but a fucking DJ got a hold of it and added a fucking, like, bass to it. And not like a dance bass. I mean, just like a, like, it's just a hardcore, like, like, okay. Like, you would almost expect... Like, a fucking, you know, like, if an MMA guy was coming out to this, you'd be like, oh, this sounds great. Now, granted, it's me coming out and not an MMA guy, but still, if you're dipping into that classical vibe with the, with the fact that it's the ecstasy of gold and it's from an old Western and it's a little bit more up-tempo with the, with the, with the thumping, so it's like... I think it's, it's great classy, heel music. Right. It's a classy vibe, but there's something very ominous about it. So that's why I'm going that. Uh, so the next one, uh, the next matchup we got, I'm, I'm just going to let you go right off on this. Uh, the 314, the three seed is Sober by Tool. The 14 is Robot Rock by Daft Punk. Jude, go to town. Yeah, again, another one of my favorites. I was never in a Tool cover band because, frankly, I'm just not good enough to pull that off. But, um, but uh, Sober, it was Sober, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so a great tune. You know, a lot of a lot of musically um it, it's very bass driven tool tools music and so um you know and sober is a perfect example of that where the guitar will a lot of times either mimic the bass lines but just give it another layer to 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 broaden and, and deepen the sound or it will play different music on top of the bass lines with the bass still kind of being the driving um, melody of the music. And so it's kind of a departure from most rock bands where guitar usually drives the sound and um, the bass is kind of just get, giving it the layer, you know, basically flipping, flipping it around. So um, it's a little unconventional. Uh, tools, drum timings are so complex and crazy I mean, it, it somehow works in Danny Carey's head, who's the drummer of Tool. Um, I don't know how he does it, but but if you if you look at the the signatures and the times um, that he comes up with, it, it's pure insanity. Um, I mean, I think I really think he's one of the best drummers, period, in the world. Um, but Sober's a great tune. I don't know what it is about Daft Punk. That, that band wasn't good in the '90s, in the peak <laughs> when they were when they were famous, and uh, they had that around the world tune in the '90s, which was kind of shitty, and I kind of wrote it off. And then it kind of disappeared for a while, and then out of nowhere they reappeared, and everyone's like, "Oh, hey, let's make Daft Punk famous." I don't get it. Um, they just and, and now I like their album new they just they... released is huge, and they're how old are these guys now? Are they in their seventies? I don't know. So they, they just they just they they literally went they. They got the guy that made disco tunes, Neil Rogers, I think his name is, and they made a fucking disco record. I like it, but it's a disco record. Yeah, it's a disco record, and look, Daft Punk, I mean, if we were going to do a band with disco influence, I mean, let's do the fucking Pet Shop Boys, let's do Depeche Mode, Nine Inch Nails. There's so many bands out there that have such a better legacy and aren't some just posh, hey, let's start liking this random band. They suck, but <laughs> I think they're cool, and I'm indie, and so I'm just going to decide that it's trendy to, to like this band. That's how I feel about Daft Punk. So, I mean, again, easy decision for me. Sober yeah. by cool. I went 
Tool as well, and I admit I'm not a big Tool fan, but I for for some reason I like I really like the song Sober. And as Andrew said, I'm like probably like 20% the guitar player Andrew is because I've just now taken it up. But once you start taking it up, then like Andrew says, you you you're like, oh my god, that's so fucking hard to play. How do they do that? And it's bands that that people that just listen to music don't you don't realize you're like Tool. That's probably not that complicated. Then you're like. Oh my God, that shit's complicated. And they do shit like I can't even do on my. Me and Andrew will nerd out for a second on guitar talk. Andrew, I can't even do a fucking step down for fucking Heart of Gold by Neil Young or a fucking <laughs> uh, where you hit the fret and you do um, you hammer on, hammer off. I struggle with that. Tool, it, I listen, I'm like, holy. I don't even. I'm, it just like blows my fucking mind. But um, yeah. So I I went sober as well. So Kevin. Well, fuck. I'll make it. I, I yeah. I'll make it a fucking. Uh, I'll make it a three peat on that and just go sober tool. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go. To you know what I'm gonna say? I'm. I'd rather listen to Nick Cave. I'd rather listen oh to my Nick God. fucking Cave than Daft Punk. That's. I mean, I don't know if I. I mean, look. I I, I just go there. I, look. I, look. I, I'm I'm glad I finally heard of Daft Punk and you know I, I plan on buying the, uh, the the new record that they got and don't do I, it. I'm, I, well, look, I mean, I I, I I like you know broadening my horizons and expanding things, and I've been pleasantly surprised by you know I was you know when I was researching for a whole bunch of songs, I was surprised by enough of the, a lot of the songs I heard from now. I was like, oh, these sound pretty cool, and I wanted to pick one out for the tournament. I picked that one and. You know, it it was it was in a sense it was gonna it was I figured yeah, this will probably get beat by whatever it gets matched up against, but whatever. And sure enough, you know, sober just uh, took it out behind the woodshed. Okay, so now we got the seven and the ten seed, uh, and I'll go the ten seed first on this one. The ten seed is from Conrad Old Money, and it's called Sesquipedalians. Oh, fuck, see, I, and I had the name before, Sesquipedalians. Sesquipedalian, and you you have to you can't just type Sesquipedalian in YouTube. You have to type Sesquipedalian Conrad Old Money because for some reason there are other songs or other things that actually are labeled Sesquipedalian, and I can't believe that. But it's stunning. It's true. It stunned me. It's stunned. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And and the seventh seed that it's going up against, the seventh seed that it's going up against is Andrew WK's Never Let Down. So, so Ralph, why don't you go first on this? Uh, one? This one was so hard, Kevin. Fuck you for making me pick it, because I I never heard of the the septive whatever, and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I heard it, and I was like, oh my god! I think the horns just played from God. I think that's Hell's Entrance music. But I love me some Andrew WK. So yeah, you do. I do, I do. I mean, I he is he is he is my he's my go-to when I cut grass and do lawn work. He's got his own he's got his own playlist, and it's just it's just Andrew WK slash grass cutting on the iPod on the iPod. Uh, Andrew WK. He, my wife just like looked at me and was like, "What the fuck?" And she's like, "Who the fuck is that?" But um, I. Had to go with the guy's name I can't pronounce because it just 
I feel like it'll freak the audience out, Kevin. That's what. So that's what I went. All right, Jude, why don't you go? Well, uh, I'm a little torn on this because I, I mean, any, I'm a big fan of anything I can't pronounce. And <laughs> first of all, and secondly, um, like, like Ralph said, I just feel like some, something that you can't pronounce that's weird, that's kind of out there is, is a, it fits Kevin to a T. Um, but I also love me some Andrew WK. It's it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's just garden variety anthem music for people that love to break things and, and get really drunk. So, I mean, that that also has its appeal. Um, and I, we've kind of given the, the last couple of weeks Kevin an easy time. And uh, I, I want to put it back on him and actually have to make a freaking decision for change and not just agree with what, what both of us say. So <laughs> I'm going to pick Andrew WK and, and put it on you, Kevin. Shit. Boy, I tell you what, man. Ralph really made, man, Ralph, like, I, 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 right when you started talking about how, how much you fucking loved this, I was like, shit, let me go give it another listen. And I was playing it, and it's just like, man, that is just... It's just fucking odd. It, you're right. It is really odd. But you know what? There's something to be fucking said to start a rock song on the piano and then just break down into utter ass kicking rock music and then kick and then take and then and then go from that into a fucking power ballad anthem that is so off that, that is just off the wall. It's it's I mean if you were just looking at the lyrics by themselves, you would almost just say, well, this is just bland and trite. Oh, no, my friend. Andrew W.K., celebra- he, he celebrates the mundane with ass-kicking rock. And I, I, I've, I've got to give him the nod for that. I've well, got to give him the nod. Here's the th- Kevin, here's the thing with the Conrad old money thing, though. I feel like it's so weird... And if you're heel, you'd have so many options. I mean, you could be like a Japanese sumo wrestler with that weird intro, or you could be like North Korean and have like a have like an entourage with like military getup because that music is so weird from Conrad Old Money. Like you could just freak. Are, are there are, are there any non-Asian options? Yeah, that's what I want. I mean, pa, I mean that's what I mean. That's just what get that's what I think. Or well, you could go like old. You could go like old school Joseph Stalin. You know, you know, if you wanted to, like dictator, or you know, or you could go like, or you could go like Middle East. You could go like Gaddafi. You could go like that style Gaddafi. of military. You know. Did you guys see that Tosh Tosh Point episode <laughs> of them talking about Gaddafi? I did. Oh, that was good stuff. So uh, <laughs> sorry to inter- sorry to interrupt. All right, no, that's okay. I'm uh. I am gonna. I'm. I'm still sticking with uh, Never Let Down. So it's gonna be Andrew WK. Uh, and so now the final one, the final one of the final bracket here of the first round is the two versus the fifteen. The second seed is Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones. That's too high. And the fifteen seed is Jump Around, Jump Around by House of Pain. And I'll lead this off, and I'll say, and I'll say, Street Fighting Man is. The music, I, I uploaded the song on my Xbox so I could make it my, you know, my create-a-boxer's intro music in, in Fight Night, 
and so I could make it my creator wrestler's intro music in, in whatever wrestling game I got. So that's, uh, that's, that's how I feel about that song, so I'm going Street Fighting Man. So who's, who's next to vote? I guess Ralph, I, why don't you go? I mean, I'll, I'll vote next. I'll vote okay, next because it'll create more suspense. I'm going House of Pain, but I, Street Fighting Man is a good song. Love the Stones. Again, I just feel like it's uh, lyrically, thematically, it, it, it's just off for Kevin. Now, House of Pain, Jump Around is maybe the most cliche and obvious choice you could make, but it, it's it's just such a obvious pick that it's almost kind of lame. So I don't really see either of these songs getting getting far in this in this tournament, but as a Irish Catholic, um, I've got to at least represent my people and get House of Pain out of the first round. So, um, and you know, that, that was a big part of my, before I realized that that song was overplayed and lame, um, it, it played a part in my formative years. So I'm going with jump around. I am going to go. Part of me wants to vote for Jump Around because then if if that, if that would win, then Kevin could wear like a Celtics jersey and get a and get a uh, and get a and get a face tattoo of a teardrop or or uh, or such, and that is appealing. Ralph, Ralph, consider consider Kevin in a Kevin McHale old school Celtics jersey, about to get his wrestling on. I that is appealing, but the thing is, I know his deep hatred of Bill Simmons. So I feel like if that happened, it would be funny for like ten minutes. But then when he had a heart attack, it wouldn't be so funny or an aneurysm. It wouldn't be as funny. So Wait, I'm gonna go. What's that? So I'm gonna go Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones. But the I still think the teardrop tattoo is a great option to have in your toolkit as a heel wrestler, Kevin, and you should consider it. Yeah, I'm definitely, well, I'm definitely, I, I started looking up, uh, looking up face paint possibilities and, you know, I started thinking about what I'm going to do there and, and what I may do, uh, if I, uh, if I do go the, the mask option and how I could, you know, utilize face paint to help with the mask. Because I've got, you know, guys that have been wrestlers, wrestlers at the place I go who were telling me, who were telling me, you know, do you really want to use a mask because your visibility is going to be limited and all this other kind of stuff. And so I'm just thinking, well, maybe I go, you know, bigger eye holes or something. or You know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But if I paint around my face where the, where the mask would normally show skin and there's color there, it, it could add a little something to the, uh, to the look. So... You know, well, it sounds, it sounds awesome. <laughs> God, that sounded so forced. Yeah. Well, that, that's 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 awesome, Kevin. That's great. That's great. <laughs> you rode uh, you rode the bike twelve whole feet. That's great. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. Good job. Get him next time. I I learned how to play the C chord, Dad. All right, son, that's great. Maybe next time I work on the A Good talk. We'll see you out there. Good talk. (laughs) So that that completes the first round. 
So starting next week, we'll be doing second round games, and it'll go quicker. Um, but it's just so much fun in the middle of June, and we don't have any Saints news to talk about. And can, really, can you run quick? Can you run quickly through all the second round matchups? Oh my yeah, sure. Why the, the, oh, why the hell not? Well, why the hell not? Okay, so in the first region from the top of the cage region, we have the number one seed, One Vision by Queen, against the number eight seed, Go by Pearl Jam. We have the five seed, Stink Fist by Tool, against the four seed, Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. The six seed, It's a Long Way to the Top by ACDC, against the 14 seed, God's Gonna Cut You Down by Johnny Cash. We have the ten seed, Symphony of Destruction by the number two seed, Lunatic Fringe. In the From Parts Unknown region, we have the number one seed, The Baddest Man Alive by Black Keys with RZA, against the nine seed, In the Evening, against Led Zeppelin. We have the five seed, Genesis, by the band, or the group Justice, against the four seed, I Get Wet, by Andrew W.K. Oh, man, that's the a tough matchup. Yup, the six seed, Ashes to Ashes, by Faith No More, against the three seed, Bulls on Parade, by Rage Against the Machine. Ooh. We have Seven, we have the seven seed, My Wave by Soundgarden, against the number two seed, Young Man Dead by the Black Angels. In the Oh My God region, we have the number one seed and number one overall seed, Du Hast by Rammstein, against the eight seed, Personal Jesus by the Death Mode. Du Hast isn't, <laughs> isn't getting, du Hast isn't getting cha- challenged till the final four. But we have, we have, uh, uh, and, we have the 12 seed, Iron Eagle by Andrew Juge. Yes. Ugh. Going up against the number four seed, When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin. I'm toast. No, because, uh, we want a full, because people want a full version of that. That's what's going to keep you winning, I think. We have the 11 seed, Reigns of Castamere by The National, against the three seed, Them Bones by Alice in Chains. We have the 10 seed, Holy Diver by Rodney James Dio. Ronnie James Dio, sorry. And number 15 against the 15th seed, Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. And then finally, in the outside interference region, we have number one, Sinister Kid of the Black Keys, going up against number eight, Radioactive by the Imagination Dragons. Number five, The Fire, the Roots featuring John Legend, against the four seed, We Care a Lot by Faith No More. The 11th seed, Ecstasy of Gold, the Bandini remix. That's of the Ennio Morricone uh, song from the Good, Bad, and the Ugly soundtrack against the three seeds, Sober by Tool, and finally, number seven, Never Back, Never Let Down by Andrew W.K., against the two seeds, Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones. Love it. I love, love it. it. I, you know, I think I, I think the only lock, locked up number one seed is Duhast. I think that I just I don't see I don't see anything any I don't think see anybody pushing them and even though it's kind of a cliche song that gets played a lot I think with Kevin it it works really well so that's my two cents analysis on this so huge you anything you want to throw in yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 there's some tough matchups in there. I, you know, the, the first round, I, I think we had a lot of unanimous picks. You know, there, there was some disagreement, but, uh, most of those, you know, we got through making the picks unanimously. And I think there's going to be a lot more uh, dissension in the ranks on, on this next round. I mean, there's no. so many good songs. 
No, you're gonna, and I think I think a, co- a couple of the region, regions are unbalanced, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be. I mean, there's gonna be some really good songs going by the wayside in those like five twelve matchups and such. So, yeah, uh, yeah, or uh, you know, like I'm sorry, for, there's like, gonna five, be some four and such. There's yeah. gonna be some upset. Yeah. So with that, before before we get out of here, I want to say. Go to Canal Street Chronicles this weekend and read the final installment of Who Dat History 1987 because my mediocre writing combined with Hans's great editing and finds on YouTube, you're going to want to watch it. He found some of the greatest stuff from the Saints 87 season. Like the playoff game for Minnesota sucked, but he found an intro with Jimmy the Greek talking to Al Hurt. You got the music. You got Brent Musburger's. Oh, it's fantastic videos. You can go to it Sunday, but save it for work on Monday, and you can waste your whole day just watching videos. It's he has he has he found all, whole games from 1987. Do you want to watch the Saints play the Steelers in 1987 and not work for two hours? You can do it. So um, that was just a total uh, indulgent indulgent piece by me that Hans did a great job, Edison. Go how there. Many, how many kicks? How many kicks did they block in that Steelers game? Oh shit! They blocked like two, and they had the super duper goal line stand, uh, nice. where they had a goal line stand at the end, but then they had to take a safety, and Dave Weimer had to have a pick to bail them out. Um, but it was just—I mean, it's just the 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 video the 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 internet age people is so awesome because literally I would to do research I'd be like. Saints Giants 1987 and a link would pop up on Saints Report or wherever where you had clips and you could watch the game. So I mean it's just it's just a fantastic time to be alive as far as football stuff. So go to it. It was really fun to do. And also go to the Saints Nation, read Andrew Jude stuff. It's fantastic. And I heard a rumor that Kevin actually possibly might be writing something before the NFL season starts. So go to Canal Street Chronicles for that. That's bullshit. You might find it. <laughs> so for Andrew, for Kevin, for our leader, Dave, who's MIA, who's working and doing important things, I'm Ralph Marlboro. Uh So long. Until next week. <laughs>